My goodness, church, you all sang that like you believed it. And uh, man, the Lord, the presence of the Lord is in this place. The Bible declares, uh, the Lord declares in his word that um, he inhabits the praises of his people. And you all sang that like an anthem, uh, like you all uh, were trusting the Lord and believing that he is all that he says in his word and uh, even so much more. And I'm so grateful that you proclaimed that and sang that from the depths of your heart uh, to our Lord. Uh, when God's people agree together about who God is, what he has done, who we are, and how we need him, and uh, how we are to follow him as sojourners and exiles and to give our life uh, completely to him, uh, God honors that and he blesses that. And so thank you. Thank you for worshiping the Lord uh, in that way uh, this morning. I look forward to the day, um, you can take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1, but I look forward to the day uh, that when all of God's children, all of God's people that he has saved down through the ages are gathered around the throne of God, and we are worshiping like that, but even in a better way, uh, in heaven for all eternity. What a wonderful, what a wonderful opportunity that's going to be, and I look forward to that. And in that vein, I want to uh, preach this morning as we conclude this series on sojourners, um, looking at reading the book of First and Second Peter through the eyes of missionaries and as missionary uh, literature, uh, missional literature, we want to conclude this by thinking about um, the hope that sustains us, about the hope that sustains us. We have this identity to embody. He says, you're sojourners, you're foreigners, you're these exiles, right? Uh, one of the words is translated immigrants. You're, you're these exile sojourners, immigrants. So he tells us we should embody that. We uh, learn that there is a lifestyle that comes along with it, a lifestyle of holiness that God calls us to embrace. And so when we say we're God's people and we recognize who God says we are, then it's important that we recognize with that there's this responsibility to allow the Christian life to be lived in us and through us and out of us, and so there's a lifestyle to embrace. We learned last week as we read God's Word together that there is a message to proclaim, that lifestyle evangelism, and even when we are set apart, we're allowing the holiness and righteousness of Christ to be demonstrated through us, there's still a message, right, that we have to proclaim. So people don't mistake that righteousness or that holiness for just some goodness or that we were raised by good parents or that we were raised in a good area or that somehow we're just different than other people. There's this message that goes along with that and it's the message of the death, burial, resurrection of Christ, the good news, the gospel message that we have to proclaim. And then there is this hope that sustains us. Here's what Peter does, and we're about to see it uh, all throughout First and Second Peter. Peter weaves this wonderful picture, helping us to know and realize for God's people, and we're set apart, and we're willing to proclaim the gospel, not only in the way that we live, but in sharing that good news with others. He knows that suffering is going to come along with that. That those who are faithful in Christ are not immune or isolated from suffering. Suffering is this reoccurring theme you see in 1 Peter and 2 Peter. There are four large sections in First and Second Peter 
that deal with the subject of suffering. And so today we want to look at this hope that we have in the midst of suffering. Because as he weaves us through First and Second Peter, and he helps us understand about the life of suffering that comes with being a faithful believer, he also helps us to know right alongside that, that track of suffering, there's a parallel track, and that parallel track is a track of hope. And so he doesn't leave us without hope. God is a great God, and God is a good God. He doesn't just allow us to suffer for the sake of suffering, but he allows us to suffer, one of the reasons, so that we can come to know him and glorify him in even a better way. And so he gives us hope, a hope that sustains us for all eternity. Let's read about that in chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 3 down through 9. The apostle Peter writes, and he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading that is kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Peter is writing to a people who know and have firsthand experience about extreme suffering. Suffering trials come in many different forms. I know going into Thanksgiving week and as we kick off the holiday season, some of you all may be here today and not looking forward to that because you have lost someone very near to you and you're going to be going through the holidays for the first time without them, and you're just not excited about that. I was at a place the other night, and I was talking to a man who had just lost his wife this past summer, and as we were just talking, getting to know each other and fellowshipping, I inquired about that and how he was going to handle that during the holidays, and we were just in a public place, and instantly tears just well up in his eyes, and he began to share with me how difficult it was going to be. And then we began to rejoice in the very fact and the very goodness of God that because his wife was a believer and he's a believer that he's going to be with her again for all eternity. If you believe in that hope, I want you to affirm that by saying amen. And so sometimes uh, this suffering and trials just come in a lot of different forms, not only the death of loved ones, but in broken relationships, uh, in poverty. Some people just are doing without. They don't even have a place to lay their head and they Think about where's my next meal going to come from? Where's my, where am I going to sleep tonight? How am I going to pay this bill? Whatever it is, they're just in a terrible shape financially. Sickness of all different kinds. There is a emotional sickness, there's physical sickness. It's all sorts of different diseases and sicknesses. It's just the consequences of our natural body uh, becoming they're, they're corruptible 
and they are being made incorruptible. It's just part of that. But there are sicknesses of all kinds that bring trials to us. And then, of course, Peter is mentioning not just persecution, but one of the major themes of suffering is Peter's writing is he's thinking about those who are being persecuted because of their life in Christ. You start talking about suffering and the joy that accompanies it. There are three types of suffering. There's deserved suffering. You say, what is that, preacher? It's when we sin and we have uh, consequences to our sin and uh, we reap those consequences and sometimes those consequences bring great anguish to our heart or to our life or to our soul. And so there's suffering that comes along with that. It's deserved suffering. Sometimes we experience innocent suffering. That means we've not sinned. There's not something that we've necessarily done, but because the world around us is suffering and because we live in a place that is full of darkness, when other people suffer and humanity suffers in general, sometimes that general suffering affects us and we go through suffering in our own heart and life not due to anything maybe that we've done, but it's just part of being a human being uh, living in this sin-cursed world. There's innocent suffering. And then there's righteous suffering. We suffer because we belong to Jesus and we live for him. And just as Jesus suffered, we experience a certain amount of suffering. Wait a minute, Pastor. I thought because Jesus died and rose from the grave, he did that so that by his stripes we are healed that we would not suffer. My brothers and sisters, that's such a temporal view, a temporal view, and I would say it's such a selfish view and misunderstanding of what Christ did. Christ was the Lord of glory. He was 100% man, but he was 100% God. At no time did he stop being God when he was here on earth, and yet he suffered. If you're here today and you would say, you know, I never have figured it out. A matter of fact, I've never professed faith in Christ because the subject of suffering is what keeps me from coming to Christ. I don't understand how a good God allows his creation to suffer. Well, I have a much better question than that. Not as why do you suffer, why do I suffer, why does some other person in humanity suffer? Why does God suffer? Why has God chosen to suffer? Right? He has chosen to suffer so that we might know him and that we might ultimately for all eternity be delivered for, from our suffering. I have wonderful news for you. There is coming a day when all suffering will cease. If you're glad of that, say amen. And so this idea of righteous suffering, we suffer because we are just being identified with Christ. But in the midst of this suffering, Peter reminds us of this living hope that we have in Christ. Someone defined hope as a desire for some future good with the expectation of obtaining it. Hope is always an expectation of something good as well as descriptive of something for which we must wait. Hope is the complete opposite of despair, right? Despair is a place of darkness and gloom that sometimes we can get to where we just do not believe the sun's coming up the next day. We're overwhelmed by darkness, we're overwhelmed by circumstances, we're overwhelmed by sin, we're overwhelmed by the trial that so easily besets us, and we begin to wring our hands and think, if something doesn't happen right now, there is no hope for this particular situation or for this particular person. And the truth of the matter is this, 
the truth of the matter is this, that there is always hope for those who have placed their faith and trust in Christ. The opposite of this living hope that Peter talks about is a dead hope or no hope. And I, it's a terrible place to be, to get in a place of no hope. If you're here today and you've been in a place of despair, if you've been in a place of deep depression, so much that you've just thought to yourself, I don't know if there's any hope to be found for me, I want to encourage you to do two things. I want to encourage you to go to your doctor, and I want to encourage you to go to God. I want to encourage you to be seen and to make sure that you don't have some chemical imbalance going on that's got you in a place that's not healthy for you to be in. But I want to make sure that you know that you have a God who loves you and cares for you and He can provide for you and love you and affirm you and encourage you and He can give you hope in the midst of darkness. If you believe that, church family, say amen. F.F. Bruce uh, describes the Christian hope this way. Bruce says, We are refugees from the sinking ship of this present world order. So soon to despair. Our hope is fixed in the eternal order, not in the temporal order, where the promises of God are made good to his people in perpetuity, meaning that it just goes on and on and on. God's promises are just continually filled, Bruce says, over and over again. There's never a time that the promise of God is not fulfilled as we place our hope and faith and trust and we live with him for all eternity. Hope in the New Testament is seen in here in 1 Peter 1, 3 as a living hope. In Titus chapter 2, verse 13, it's seen as a blessed hope. In 1 Thessalonians 2, 19, it is our joyful hope. In 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 through 18, it's this comforting hope, this reassuring hope. In Colossians 1, 27, it is the hope of glory. In Hebrews 6, 19, I love this, it is the anchoring hope. It's the hope that anchors us and ties us to the Lord. And then in 1 John chapter 3, verse 3, it is this wonderful idea of purifying hope. That we have this hope that God is not through with us and that he is working in us and one day he is going to finish working in us and we are going to be completely mature. And even as he is perfect, we're going to be perfect because the holiness of Christ has not only been appropriated, but we have been removed from the sinful curse of this fleshly body. We have received a glorified body. We are with the Lord forever in eternity. And there our hope is perfect. If you are thankful for that, praise the Lord. Will you this morning? Listen to this. Romans 15.4 says, For whatever was written in earlier times, this is by the prophets, were written for our instruction so that through perseverance and the encouragement of God's word of the scriptures, we might have hope. We all need hope more than ever. And our hope is not the same kind of hope that you just find at the store on a plaque somewhere, right? Our hope is a living hope, Peter says. It is a hope that is anchored in an object that is not abstract, but it is objective. It's real. It's the person of Christ. Our hope is never found in the abstract or the subjective, but our hope is living and constant because our hope never comes from temporal things or circumstances, but our hope is found in Christ and Christ alone. This morning, I want to encourage you, if you're here and you're suffering, 
you're going through a trial, maybe you're just at a, a low season in your life. I was checking my Twitter feed last night, and uh, a dear brother who's doing great work among rural churches, I, my heart just went out to him. He tweeted and he said, I'm preaching someplace tomorrow for whatever time. He, he's been preaching a lot. And he said, I just want to be honest and just say, man, the tank is empty. I've got nothing. And of course, instantly there were people praying for him all over the place. And you may be here like that brother, and you may be here thinking, you know what? Spiritually, my life is empty. I'm, I'm here in body. I'm trying to be here in mind. I'm trying to hang with you, Pastor. But the truth of the matter is, right now it seems like there's a hole in my heart, and it, it's just having a hard time being filled. I have tremendous good news for you. There is hope to be found in Christ. There's something in your life that is not going well. Circumstances seem to be uh, troubling. I want to encourage you, there is hope to be found in Christ. If you're here and you've never been born again, and you would say, I would like to believe this gospel message, but can this gospel really forgive me, and can it really save me? Absolutely, Jesus has this power to forgive you of your sin, to put you in proper right standing with our Heavenly Father, all because of the work that He has done. See, this thing of getting to God is an inside track. If you know Jesus, you're going to get to the Father, right? And if you don't know Jesus, you're not getting to the Father. But man, as soon as you confess your sins and call upon Him in believing faith and trust, believing that He died on the cross and rose from the grave, you can have this living hope. A matter of fact, look at verse 3 and notice how God establishes our hope in Christ. Preacher, that's all pie pie in the sky. I'm telling you, I'm here today and I'm down and I don't have any hope. Well, I want you to know hope is not something that you muster. It's not something that you come up with. God establishes our hope in Christ. Peter said, blessed be God, uh, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ according to his great mercy He's withholding from us something that we deserve. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Do you know this this morning? That this hope is not something that you just create. It's not a switch that you just flip on. But that God establishes our hope and he does that through Jesus Christ. And it's Jesus Christ who initiates grace and mercy and love in our hearts and lives that allows us to hear that. And as he allows us to hear that, he begins to work in us in such a way that he gives us faith to believe the very gospel message that we hear. See, the night that I was saved, I did not go in believing. A matter of fact, that night that I went to hear the gospel, I said to my friend who was going with me, I don't know if there's anything to this being saved. But if there is something to this being saved, if God is real and he's able to save, I'm going to ask him to do that tonight and we'll see what he does. I, I drove all the way to Glasgow from Edmonton that night, went into a church service and I heard the gospel and I began, my heart began to change and I began to hear the word. I was first offended I was first, uh, I then went from uh, being offended because I thought everybody told this preacher about who I was and so this preacher was just right shooting right at me. So I was offended. Then I went to being arrested by the word that I was hearing and as the word of God was being proclaimed, I began to realize, you know what? It's the word that's speaking to my heart 
I began to be convicted of my sin, and I left that place lost in my sin. And not knowing what to do, I had to pull over on the side of the road, and I said, I would like to be saved, but I don't know what to do. And my friend said, you need to ask Jesus to forgive you of all your sin. And so I stopped trying to name individual sin, and I said, God, forgive me of all of your sin. And the moment that the Lord allowed me to profess, Jesus, I believe in you, and I believe in what you did, my heart was changed. And I want to say to you, that night, a living hope came to dwell inside of me through the presence of the Holy Spirit, according to the word of Christ that I heard proclaimed, according to the Lord's good mercy and grace in our life. God establishes our hope in Christ. Our hope is anchored in the past. It's anchored in the very fact that Jesus died and he rose from the dead. This is a historical fact. Josephus, a Jewish historian, bears witness of the very fact. He's not the only historian that bore witness of the fact that Jesus lived. He died hanging between two thieves. And three days later, the testimony swept through Jerusalem that this one who claimed to be the Messiah had risen from the dead. Our hope is anchored in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. See, you don't have to have some hope that is imaginative or subjective or abstract. You can have this wonderful hope in the very one that defeated death for himself has the ability to defeat death for you. Preacher, are you crazy to think that you're going to live forever? No. If I'm crazy, it's because Jesus Christ is crazy. And I don't believe he's crazy at all. But I believe because he died and rose again that if we put our faith and trust in him, we can also defeat death through the power of Christ and his resurrection. So our hope is anchored in the past. But our hope rests in the present. That not only did Jesus die and rose again, but he's alive today. Aren't you thankful Jesus is alive? Y'all sang just a few minutes ago like Jesus is alive. I wish that, as a matter of fact, I've been praying for the last couple of weeks, God, will you make me a happy Christian? Uh, will you make me a joyful Christian? I don't want to be one of these uh, angst Christians, right? That's always got an angst, something to grind. You know people like that? Yeah, I love Jesus, but I hate everybody else. I, I, just, I just don't want to be that type of believer. I've been asking God, God, make me a joyful, make me a joyful believer. Help me not to be suspicious, but help me to just love you and to love people just the way they are. Help me to rest in the present fact that Jesus is alive. Alfred Alkley knew that Jesus was alive. You say, who was Alfred Alkley? You're going to know in just a minute. In 1933, he penned these words. I wish we sang this. This has no reflection on Justin at all. He would sing it if I asked him to sing it. We, why do we wait until March and April to sing resurrection songs, right? Why do some of these great hymns of the faith do we just sing one time a year? Listen to what Alfred Alkley had to write. He said, I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. How many know where I'm going, right? I know that he is living whatever men may say. I see his hand of mercy. I hear his voice of cheer. And just the time I need him, he's always near. He lives, he lives. Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and he talks with me along life's narrow way. 
He lives, he lives, salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives because he lives within my heart. If that's true of you today, raise your hand really, really high. We listen to this. This hope that we have is anchored in the past. It rests in the present reality that we're not serving some dead religion. We're not going through the motions. Preacher, why do you make the decisions you make? Why do you live the way you live? Why do you do the things you do? I just believe that Jesus is alive. And I'm not living for retirement here on earth. I've got a lot better retirement for all eternity, and that is with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you believe it, say amen. And our hope is completed in the future. See, God establishes every aspect of our hope. He anchored it in the past by coming forth from the grave. He, he allows our hope to rest with this confident reassurance in the presence because he's alive. And it's completed in the future because Jesus is coming again. I'm going to tell you, I wouldn't care if Jesus came today. Preacher, you know, if Jesus came today, you're going to miss Christmas. Preacher, if Jesus comes today, you're not going to know that little uh, granddaughter. I, I know a name, but I'm not supposed to tell her. <laughs> I'm wanting to call her by name. That is a terrible, terrible understanding of life. Right? I think the moment she was conceived, I had a granddaughter for all eternity. Some of y'all don't believe that. Some of you ladies that miscarry, God's going to introduce you to a little baby when you get to heaven. And it's just going to be one of the many ways God blows your mind according to his faithfulness. Right? Preacher, if he comes today, we don't, we, we're not going to see how these catch team finishes. You won't see Jacob's senior season of ball playing. You and Tracy won't get to grow old together. I think we'll be together for all eternity in a deeper, different kind of relationship that is more sweet and more real than the husband and wife relationship. Right? This idea of our hope being established in Christ, for Christ, through Christ, is completed for all eternity because Jesus is coming. So God establishes our hope in Christ. But look at verses 4 and 5. God maintains our hope in Christ. He says, To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Our hope is sure, for nothing can happen to the very promises that God has made us and the inheritance that we are about to receive. Peter, no doubt, is imagining all the Old Testament promises of Canaan. He's got in his mind Israel. He's got in his mind Jerusalem. He has in his mind the holy city. He's thinking about how God's word came true for the Israelites. They went from wandering in the wilderness to having a home in Canaan. And my brothers and sisters, we 
have an inheritance. And the Bible calls that inheritance of something that is with the Lord in His kingdom, a place called heaven, and it's for all eternity. Notice that our inheritance in Christ, it says it can never perish. It says it is imperishable there in verse 4. There's something you need to write down. You need to make this mental note this morning that when we talk about having our hope in Christ and a hope of heaven, what we are saying is that this hope will never, ever end. This hope will only be realized because the inheritance that God has promised us will never perishable. It is imperishable. It's not going to cease to be. It's not going to die. No bomb's going to blow it up. There's not going to be anyone who's going to come and lay captive to the kingdom of God and take it under siege. The very thing that God has promised, God is able to deliver. So our hope in Christ is that this inheritance that he has um, won for us and that he has accomplished for us, that it will never, ever go away. But he says something else. He says it's undefiled. So it's not only imperishable, but it's undefiled. Our inheritance in Christ can never, ever spoil or decay. Sometimes uh, I'll go to the, the pantry and I'll get out a, a loaf of bread. And if it's homemade bread, you know, and we've not eaten it all, man, I'll eat it, throw it in the microwave and eat it and put some butter on it. And there's nothing worse than when I grab that loaf of bread. I know we've had it for a few weeks and I grab that loaf of bread and I take it out of the wrapper and I get ready to microwave it and I turn it over and I see a little black mold spot. Now if I was my dad, Claude Willis, he'd just take a knife or pull it off and then he'd go ahead and eat it. Not me, right? I don't have that much hope. <laughs> what I do is I just think, oh no, and I just throw the rest of that bread away and my heart just begins to sink a little bit because I'm thinking about, man, that would have been good, right? Listen to me. There's no part of our inheritance that God has won and accomplished for us through Christ's work on the cross and through the empty tomb that will ever spoil or rotten or mold or decay. When you receive your glorified body, it'll never be made corruptible again. See, we die twice, but we live twice as well. You say, preacher, I thought we only died once, right? We die to our old self when we receive Christ. And then if Christ doesn't come back, and we die physically here, we only die to be raised from the grave. Our inheritance in Christ can never spoil or decay. Boy, I'm thankful for that. Heaven is such a permanent place that he says in verse 4 that it's unfading. And this language unfading, the word really means that it lasts for all eternity. It's permanent. This inheritance that Christ has accomplished for us, that he is entrusting to us, our inheritance in Christ is something that is permanent and it never, ever ends. Eighty years, 
life will end 70 years and it will end 90 years and it will end. For some, life ends as a child or as a teenager or someone in their 20s or 30s. Sometimes life ends at the most um, inopportune times and in tragic ways and in unexpected ways and it just sort of all catches us by surprise. And We say, I can't believe that person lost their life in that fashion, in that way, so soon. We have all said the statement sometime or another, that person seemed to be far too young to pass at this place or time in their life. But my brothers and sisters, the good news is that we're not just built as believers for this short temple life. We're built for all eternity. Y'all want to hear some really good news? I'm going to chase y'all around heaven. Now, I won't get to proclaim the gospel because there will be no gospel to proclaim. won't get to talk to you about sin or what do you do with your son or your daughter or what goes on with this or that or how, how we can pray over you if you change jobs or uh, about how do you read to understand that scripture. There won't be any of that going on, but there will be a lot of rejoicing. Just think about that. Unending unending inheritance with the Lord forever. My grandmother was 98 years old when she passed. And everybody said, man, God gave your grandma, Dora Moses, gave her unbelievable long life, and he certainly has. But you know that when she couldn't remember what she had for breakfast that day, I could say to Ma Moses, Ma, tell me about when you came to faith in Christ, right? Never would have asked her that until I came a believer. But as a young believer, I'd say, tell me about when you came to faith in Christ. And man, she would hone in on that. And that story was the same every time. She's been up there a long time now. There's going to be a time that when I pass, I'm going to see Ma Moses. I'm going to see Claude Willis. I'm excited to hear my dad talk without a speech impediment. I don't know what that's going to sound like, but I think it's going to be really, really neat. I, I can't wait to see my mom. I can't wait to see people of the faith who've gone before me. I can't wait to see Miss Marie, people like Joe Harlow, People like Ronnie Ward. Pillars in this church. Pillars. Faithful people who knew God, was in God's word and served faithfully. Not seeking to do underhanded stuff. When things didn't suit them, they took it to Jesus in prayer. People who loved Jesus and they lived the faith and they died in the faith. And they have a faithful inheritance for all eternity. I want to be like that. If you do, say amen. Our inheritance is permanent and it's secured. Notice two things about that and we've got to move on. You guys are listening way too slow. Our inheritance in Christ is secured. It's kept in heaven for you, he says. Who by God's power, watch this, it's kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. 
our inheritance is secured. What do we mean? It means our inheritance is kept for us by the power of the Holy Spirit through the person of Christ. And we are kept for our inheritance, which is the Lord himself and our salvation completed. No more interference from a sinful, carnal, unnatural body. But we'll be delivered from that and our salvation will be complete. That is what he's referring to when he says ready to be revealed in that last time. Our inheritance in Christ is secure. Preacher, part of my problems is I feel like I'm a sorry believer. I know I'm saved, but I feel like I'm a terrible believer. I don't feel like I'm faithful. I just don't feel like sometimes that uh, I love God enough or that God loves me enough. And my Christian pilgrimage, I just don't feel like is what it should be. Well, I have wonderful, wonderful good news for you. And this is the good news that I have for you. You are not finished yet. He who has begun a good work in you is able to complete that work. He's able to finish that work, Paul says in the book of Philippians. We're not perfect on this side of eternity. We are works in progress. And so today I want to encourage you to cast all of your hope, all of your concern to Christ who loves you and cares for you. And I want to encourage you and invite you to trust the Lord in the midst of the trial, in the midst of the suffering, in the midst of the heartache, in the midst of the imperfection, trust Jesus. Because God not only maintains our hope, but God makes our hope joyful in Christ. Stand to your feet so you can hear these verses. He says it this way. What do you mean God makes our hope joyful in Christ? He says in verse 6, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. You're rejoicing even though you're going through different trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, watch this, may be bound to result in the praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you've not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. And watch this. As you believe in him, you rejoice with joy that is unspeakable and expressible, and it's filled with glory, obtaining the outcome, the maturity, the final product of your faith, the complete salvation, including glorification of your soul. God makes our hope joyful in Christ. I read this passage of scripture uh, to John and Lily Dillon one day this week. John's going through a terrible trial right now. If you're not praying for him, I want to encourage you to be praying for him. Pray for Lily. If you say, who are those people? They're the coffee people. They, they keep the, the coffee going on Sunday mornings and they have wonderful substitutes, right, who are filling in. But John's just going through a terrible trial. And I said, John, here's what I'm preaching on Sunday. I would love to read this with you today. And John was so hopeful as we read that word. And I said, Brian, would you... Pray for us. And I could see in the midst of this trial, and I don't even want to describe it, but John is going through a deep trial. And as Brian started to lead us in prayer, I could see the hope, the hope that 
was in John's life. Lily texted me and said, John said to tell you, preacher, if he doesn't make it here, he'll see you in heaven. And I think, hallelujah. Now, he wasn't down. He was encouraged. He's fighting a good fight of faith. He's hanging in there. He's trusting Christ. You say, preacher, is there joy to be found in the midst of heartache and trial and suffering? And I want to say to you, there absolutely is. A matter of fact, hope points us beyond our trials and difficulties. Our hope in Christ strengthens our joy and faith in the trial. Our hope in Christ ultimately brings praise and honor and glory to the name of Jesus. That's why Alfred Alkley said, In all the world around me, I see his loving care. And though my heart grows weary, I never will despair. I know that he is leading through all the stormy blast and the day of his appearing will come at last. Rejoice, rejoice, O Christian. Lift up your voice and sing eternal hallelujahs to Jesus Christ, the King. He's the hope of all who seek him, the help of all who find None other is so loving, so good and kind. He lives. He lives. If you believe that, I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And I want to have a time of prayer for you and with you. If you're here and you're going through a trial, a difficulty, a storm, you're here today and you're just struggling in your faith, Whatever need you may have, I want to encourage you just to slip out of your seat and just come up here and I want us to pray. No one's looking around. I'm not going to have people sing while you're up here. But if you would say, I need my hope renewed in Christ. I believe the word was for me today. And I want to proclaim and ask the Lord to reestablish my faith in him, my hope in him. I want to ask him to continue to maintain it. I want to ask him to allow my suffering to be joyful in the midst of the storm. I want to invite you to come so I can pray with you. Will you do that? How many of you would raise a hand and say, man, I needed that word, and I'm asking God to renew hope in me again. Will you raise your hand high? Just hold it up. God, you're able, you tell us in the book of Ephesians, to, abundant, to do abundantly more than anything we could ever ask or imagine. And so, Lord, today, will you work in our midst? Lord, you're alive today. We as your people have great cause to rejoice. Lord, our hope is not found in our abilities not found in our accomplishments it's not found in our own faith but God our hope is found in Christ in your grace and your mercy 
So Lord, I pray for these who've lifted a hand today. Those who have said, I, I need my hope to be renewed or restored. God has spoken to me today. Father, for those who are going through deep trials, tough times in their life, God, I pray that you would strengthen them, that you would give them joy in the journey, in the struggle, because, Lord, there you place their hope and trust in Christ. Lord, will you make us a people who are sojourners? God, will you make us people who are holy, who proclaim the good news, and God, who places their hope, their contentment, their trust in Jesus Christ. Bless these dear people of God today, Lord. Will you lift your voices in song? Let's sing.